This morning, we're finishing up our series uh, that we've been doing for a while called When Jesus Comes to Church. Um, the question we've been asking each and every week is, you know, what would happen if Jesus in bodily form walked in these doors and was among us? Like, like what would Jesus have to say to us right now to, to TFRC um, in this moment? And what we've been doing throughout the series is we've been looking um, in the book of Revelation. Um, there's these seven letters to these seven churches in Revelation. They're letters from Jesus to these churches. And we've been kind of using these letters to imagine, well, what in the world would Jesus say if he did walk into this space? And so um, this morning we'll be diving into the last church of the seven. It's the church in Laodicea. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, our scripture reading is found in Revelation 3, um, verses 14 through 22. So if you have your Bibles, I'd go ahead and just open up there right now. Um, if you have the Worship Center Bibles, that's page 993, if that would help you. Um, our scripture reader this morning is Bill Hale. Bill, you can head on up when you're ready. And church, what we do when we read scripture together each week is we stand if you're able to, and then we face the center of the room where the scripture is read. And it's so symbolic. It's um, the word of God is central in our community. It should be central to us. It's the true story of Jesus. That's why. So Bill, when you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Revelation 3. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have required wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. To whom I love and rebuke and discipline, excuse me, those whom I love, I rebuke and, and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks, Bill. You all may take a seat. I'll just keep your Bibles um, open there. We'll be coming back there pretty quickly here. Um, as many of you know, I was born in uh, Grand Rapids area in Michigan. Um, and the house that I grew up in was like an 80-year-old house with 80-year-old plumbing, if you know how that works. Um, and the way that the house was laid out was that there were two bathrooms. There was one on the main floor, and then there was one on the second story. Um, the bathroom on the main floor is, uh, a to the toilet was kind of like a, a number one only toilet, if you understand what that means. 
there's a number one and number two. You can't do the second one, if that makes sense. Um, now, on one particular night, um, our house was full of people. My parents were having a dinner party or something. And um, at some point during the night, one of the guests needed to use the bathroom, and they decided they wanted to go upstairs and use that bathroom. And so they went on upstairs, and they were up there for a very long time. And after an extraordinarily long time, um, this person came downstairs and informed everyone around that he would need to leave. And so he got his things, got in his car, and left, which everyone thought was a little weird. That is until something happened. Now, it all started slow, but on the main floor, there was a ceiling light. And then at some point, the ceiling light began to drip water. I don't know if you've ever had this happen before. We didn't know what was happening. Was the light crying? I don't know. Maybe it was a sad light. And then the entire lighting fixture began to fill up with a murky brownish water. And then the drips intensified and turned into a flow and began flowing freely all over the floor for all to see. And then chaos happened as we tried to figure out how in the world do we make this thing stop. And at some point, someone ran upstairs to the bathroom and learned that this person had gone number two in the number one bathroom. It was a disaster. Now, um, my parents are here this morning. I'm assuming they're loving this story. <laughs> Go say hi to him afterwards. Um, now, it's really easy for us in these moments to say, you know what, that person is a terrible dude. Why didn't he tell someone? And maybe we're right. Um, but I think as I've thought about this, it really was us. It was the Austin household. We were bad. Um, we were bad hosts. They should have known. They should have known better. We should have let them know that that was a number one only bathroom, and we simply did not. Now, I share that story for two reasons. One, to embarrass my parents. That's the first one. <laughs> um, and the second is our scripture reading is about being a bad host. Um, Jesus' letter to Laodicea is the last of the seven letters to the seven churches. And there's a couple striking things about this letter. Um, in all the other churches, um, to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia, there is this um, pattern that Jesus uses. Um, it's this pattern of, I'm going to offer you some encouragement for all the things that you're doing well, and then I'm going to give you some correction for the things that perhaps need to change or the things you need to grow into. You do this and this and this and this really well, churches, but you have to grow here and here and here and here. And Jesus does this with every single church out of the seven except for one. When Jesus visits the church in Laodicea, um, Jesus breaks that pattern and something different happens. In fact, if you look closely at our scripture reading this morning, what you will see is that Jesus only has correction to offer, which is really interesting. Now, even the way that Jesus offers correction is different than the way he does for all the other churches. In, in all six of the other letters, Jesus had specific moral corrections that he wanted to let the church know about. There were some things that they were doing that could not happen anymore, and he was very specific about it. Um, sexual immorality, bad theology, caving into the culture when it's convenient. And then Jesus turns to this church in Laodicea, and he doesn't give any specifics really at all, which again is interesting. Now you see, the reason for this is because Jesus needed the church in Laodicea to see something, and it was something different from all the other churches. There was something different going on there. 
Now to get this, there's something you need to understand about the city of Laodicea. Um, Laodicea was a mega rich town. They had lots and lots of money. The city had massive reserves of cash. Um, in fact, last week, Pastor Chuck talked about this earthquake that struck in the area and it wiped out a bunch of these towns and these towns could never really bounce back from that because they just didn't have the resources to bounce back. That's not true for Laodicea. Laodicea, they watch their city crumble in an earthquake, they get out their checkbooks and then they hand it over and say, all right, rebuild, and then boom, the city is rebuilt almost immediately. And you see, it was this wealth that Jesus had a problem with. Not really that they had wealth. You know, Jesus doesn't care if you're wealthy or not. That's really not on his uh, radar. But it's what being wealthy can do to us that is on his radar. See, wealth has the ability to take care of an enormous amount of problems in our lives, doesn't it? Um, money can make sure uh, we are clothed and it can get us a bed and a home with a furnace and an AC unit and cars and food, all the things that we need to really survive in our lives. Money can take care of a lot of those things. And you see, that reality that wealth can take care of so much in our lives can really have an impact on our relationship to God. Um, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, um, give us today our daily bread, right? You've probably heard that phrase before. And in the ancient world, that phrase makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of people that don't know if they're going to eat tomorrow. They just simply don't know. So God, please give me today my daily bread. Please, I'm dependent on you. But what happens well, if I can take care of that all by myself, well, I don't need to ask God for that stuff anymore. And you see, that was the problem in Laodicea. The church had such great means that relying on God began to seem unnecessary to them. They could take care of themselves with their own resources. They didn't need God to rely on to get through this thing called life. And you see, a faith that is not filled with a deep reliance on God for every last detail is a faith that will quickly become lukewarm. Now, I hate to be this guy this morning, but of all the churches, all seven of them, and we look and we've examined all of their problems that they had and, and the ways that maybe we can somehow relate to those problems. Of all the churches, I would argue it's the church in Laodicea that looks the most like us today, easily. It does. We feel that we can take care of ourselves today. We don't need to trust God. We've got it taken care of. We have money. We have a roof. We never have to worry about where food's coming from next. There's food pantries, like 20 of them, just in Twin Falls, right? Like, we're just fine. We don't need to ask God for these things. And the only time we do ask God for things is when really bad things happen. When our health turns, and it turns out there's a cancer diagnosis that's not going to be curable, or when tragedy strikes, or there's a really big unknown decision that we have to make, or our spouse leaves us, or whatever it may be. And then when we get to that moment, we're like, okay, God, all right, now I'm going to try to depend on you in this moment, but everything else, I've got that covered. I'm good. I don't really need you. And if that's our view, our faith will suffer. Now, Jesus um, uses the image of a host hosting a dinner party to really peel back the layers on what this all means, this wealth thing. 
And he mentions two parts of a dinner party in uh, our scripture reading. Um, the first is um, the image of a drink, of a drink. Um, the cup on the screen is a cup that would have been really familiar in the ancient world. Um, Revelation 3 and verse 15, if you have your Bible, I would just turn there and take a look there a second. This is Jesus writing to the church in Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor are cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Many of us have heard this passage before, right? Raise your hand if you've heard this passage before. Yeah, many of us have. It's a very familiar passage. And one of the ways we've understood this passage is that the church in Laodicea was lukewarm. And God wants his church to be on fire, to be warm, to be a hot church. And, you know, God would rather have you be a cold, distant, um, uncaring like, enemy of God than to be apathetic toward God, right? We've probably heard something about this passage before. It'd be better to be against Jesus than to be lukewarm toward Jesus. But I think that interpretation actually really misses the context here. Jesus is talking about drinking something, right? Drinking something. You know, in the ancient world, um, dinner parties were like a really big deal. Like dinner parties mattered a lot and you'd get invited to a whole bunch of them. And at every dinner party, the 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 drink of choice was wine. You drink wine at dinner parties. You drink wine a lot of places back then. But at a dinner party, the way that the wine was served um, was important. You had to serve it uh, distinct ways. Um, one way that they would choose to serve the wine is by chilling the wine. They'd find a way to make the wine cold. They would go and find snow, which was tremendously difficult to do. Or they'd find a cold cave or dig a really deep hole and then bury the wine so that it was nice and cold and chilled. And they would serve that as a refreshing drink to their guests. The other way is they do the opposite. They'd make the wine really warm. They'd take um, water, they'd boil it, and then they'd pour it in with the wine and stir it up and make kind of a, a warm wine beverage. And you see, if you were a fairly affluent person, you would ensure that your wine was presented in either of those two ways, and it was a big deal. Because by taking the extra time to make your wine either hot or cold showed how you felt about your guests. You respected your guests, you cared for your guests, you valued your guests, and that was a way of communicating that. If you were to host a dinner party, in the ancient world, and serve the wine at room temperature or lukewarm, you are sending a message to your guests that your guests are not worth the energy, not worth your time, that they really didn't matter. And everyone at that dinner party would notice and make note of that. It'd be like today, you hosting a dinner party at your house and everyone's dressed up and the table looks beautiful and they're all there and you go to your freezer and you grab a giant box of corn dogs, take them out, throw them in the microwave, you hear the alarm go off and you say, boom, dinner's ready guys, let's eat. Um, you laugh, but you might be a little offended by that, wouldn't you? See, Jesus says, hey church in Laodicea, you are like a lukewarm drink. You are a church that has no drive or care. You have no fire in your belly, church. You are a church that has fallen into apathy. You are a church that literally is not doing anything. You have no purpose 
at all. Jesus says, literally, he says, I know your deeds, is what he says. And we could read that as, I know that you're not doing anything, your lack of deeds, church, in Laodicea. And you see this image is Jesus drinking the wine at the dinner party and the church in Laodicea essentially invites Jesus over for dinner and then offers them or offers him microwaved corn dogs, right? That's how I feel about you, Jesus. You're not worth the time. Now, I think we look a lot like that these days, if we're honest. It, it, we should wonder, um, what kind of drink are you offering Jesus these days? What kind of drink are you offering Jesus? How much energy and attention are you pouring into your faith these days? What's your prayer life look like? Are you praying at all these days? Really, are you? What's your appetite for the Bible, for Scripture these days? Are you reading it, or is it just sitting and collecting dust and that's it? Are you doing anything at all intentionally to invite people into the grace of Jesus? Are you doing that? Is that happening in your life? Are you modeling Jesus out in the world with your hands and your feet, doing things so that people see Jesus in you intentionally? Are you doing that? Or are we so fixed on all the stuff of our lives that Jesus simply gets the leftovers at the end of the day? It could be that your only act of faith this week is being here. Is that true for you? Now, Jesus goes on with another image from a dinner party. Um, it's probably like one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Many of you have heard this. It, it's in verse 20. If you have your Bible, just take a look there a second. I'm going to read it. Um, Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And we've heard this passage before too, right? It's a great verse for evangelism. It's a great verse for unbelievers. It's an invitational verse to come to faith. Jesus is standing at the door of an unbeliever's heart, waiting for them to let him in and they can come into grace and into faith. It'd be a great thing to happen. It's really moving if you really think about it. But it's really not what this passage is about. Jesus isn't talking to non-believers. Jesus is talking to you and me. Jesus is standing at the door of the church, knocking and waiting for us to invite him in. You know, the more appropriate way to understand it would be like a church at a church service and forgetting that Jesus should be a part of it, right? Right? And Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Open it up. I'll come in and we'll eat together. We'll eat together. You know, one of the best relationship building events is a meal with others, right? Something happens when we eat together. It's how friendships begin when we eat together. You see, Jesus is saying... But if you feel like your faith is lukewarm, if that's the diagnosis for your life, it probably is a relationship problem, first and foremost, a relationship with Jesus problem. See, it's entirely possible to call ourselves followers of Jesus and to go to church and to live moral lives and to go through the motions and check all the check boxes, but the real stuff of faith can still be absent in the middle of that, which is a relationship. 
a relationship with Jesus? Would you say this morning, if you're being just gut honest, that you have a real friendship with God? Would you be able to say that? Today is Communion Sunday. And we're all going to come up and we're going to come to the table and we're going to take the wine and the bread and we're going to eat together. It's, it's really, if you think about it, it's a dinner party of sorts, right? And here's the thing. This morning, in this space, Jesus is looking at each of us in the eye and Jesus can see through the veneer. Jesus can see our apathy. Jesus can see our lack of commitment. Jesus can see our lukewarm hearts. Jesus can see all of that. Jesus sees us. And you see, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart this morning and saying, hey, let's eat together. And as we eat, let's talk. Share your life with me. And I'll share my life with you. And it will change you. It will change you. I stand at the door and knock, open up, and I will join you for dinner. I love how the famous Christian thinker puts his name, is Richard Foster. He says this about it. He says, we who have turned our lives over to Christ need to know how very much he longs to eat with us, to commune with us. He desires a perpetual communion feast in the inner sanctuary of our hearts. This is exactly what Jesus is inviting you and me to this morning. If you find yourself thinking, man, I am lukewarm today. Or, or perhaps you're like, I've never come to faith at all today. I don't even know what that's like. Jesus says, come, let's dine together. It will change everything for you. Spend time with me. You spend time with me and your heart will grow on fire. I promise, Jesus says. The question is this morning, when you come forward, will you open the door and let Jesus in? Will you eat with him this morning? Let's pray. God, we recognize that we live lives of affluence we're in America. Most of the rest of the world looks at us and longs for what we have. And we do truly thank you for that. But God, we recognize the real danger in each of our lives. That when it comes to the normal nitty gritty of our lives, God, we really don't hand that stuff over to you because we got it. We feel like we've got it all on our own. We've got it, God. And we do recognize what that does to our hearts, our faith. It pays the price. God, we ask for your forgiveness. And God, as we come to communion this morning and we come to the table and you join us there, God, we ask that we simply can be in relationship with you. Perhaps it's the first time this week that we intentionally do so, God. And we ask as we're with you, God, light up our hearts. Turn us on fire for you. We don't want to be apathetic. We don't want to be lukewarm, God. We want to be on fire for you. So please do that as we come to the table this morning. Join us, God. We open the door to our hearts for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Let me leave you with a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen, church?